Mesinov didn't quite connect, it's come straight out to Socrates. Socrates still trying to get the opening. Oh, Socrates! Whoa! What a goal! Day two, two games to look at. We've got some quality football, amazing goals, iconic jerseys. I'm going to be saying that every day. Kieran O'Hara, how are you? Hola, Rob. Forgive me, Father. I couldn't have sinned because this was not a penance. This is the first time in the history of one day at a time that the two matches were a joy to watch. First time in the history. Wow. That's a big statement in our jumping around time blocks and time zones, uh, Italian 90 leading the way. But anyways, yes, Mick Foley, do you want to disagree with that? No, no, I feel refreshed. I feel like mm. I've been, I've been um, just, just immersed in the waters of good football and I've come up, I've come up born again. Billy Joe Patton waived all fees for joining <laughs> us on this podcast as long as he could watch Brazil. Yeah, Isn't that that's right, Billy always, uh, I'm always open to that sort of arrangement. But I have to say, I, I kind of agree with the gentleman there beforehand. From the very first minute of watching the Brazil USSR game, I said, I knew I'm going to enjoy this. So it was it was easy. It was easy after that. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to the games in order, but. It's it like let's just talk before we talk about the detail. It's the feeling, the feeling I had from like just watching that cup of tea in hand, and it was about ten minutes into Brazil US Azor, and I was like, "All right, this is genuinely different in so many ways, and it's just thrilling and a little bit daft, but beautiful." Yes, the exuberance of the way that team wanted to play football, and um, I think you see it in those early stages where you you know. We'll talk about the big names in, in, in that midfield and, and the way they played the game. But like right from the off, they're on the front foot. They're trying to make things happen. And not so much in a showboating sort of way or not in a, an individual sort of way. It was like three or four absolutely world-class players interacting and trying to make something happen. And you can just only imagine that you, you think those games were good, but you could just think, well, what were them? What were them lunatics like in training? You know, the, the way they, they would have played. What would they, what would they yeah. have been like? What would they have been like in the aftermatch meal over a bottle of red wine discussing the, the, the latest political happenings? Uh, I, I got a correction on the showboating. It, it is showboating, but it's... <laughs> Synchronized showboating. It's, it's constructive showboating. It's showboating for the sake of making everybody look good. It is superb. Like I swear to God, I'd say there are more passes completed in using the outside of the foot than I'd say in the first 20 minutes of that Brazil game than there was completed in the entirety of the 1981-82 English First Division season. Like, they they are just bananaing balls around the place, and but you know, like I know we we'll obviously we jump on some later on, but you know what it is, like you know the way whenever you come into any World Cup, well, it doesn't matter what year what year it is, there's always excitement about seeing Brazil. You know, there's always something, but like this was something else again seeing these guys. You know, because you have that excitement, even though you know we're we're walking back forty years, but you do have this excitement to see what were these guys really really like, and I mean. Two things were settled for me. Number one, you know, beyond the beyond the highlights that we're all used to watching, to watch a full match of those guys in full flow was just incredible. And the second thing is like 
that movie Pulp Fiction, right? You know, where they're walking around with the suitcase all day and eventually get to the diner and Tim Roth forces Sam L. Jackson to open it up and have a look, see what's inside. And there's this glow comes out. It's clearly a highlights reel from Brazil at the 1982 World Cup. I know this now. I know this now. Like that. You can't Three see it of the isn't four like teams playing today were arguably seeing their greatest teams ever. Like True. it's definitely yeah. the greatest Polish True. team of all time. Mm. It's it, you know, you're gonna the, obviously the, the Brazil argument is hard to make, but but this is seen as the best Italian team of all time. Mm. So this is a, this is a rare <laughs> treat. This is. Yeah. yeah, let's yeah. just move yeah. on. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's get stuck into the game, starting with game number one from Galicia and the west coast of Spain, Vigo, where Italy took on Poland. Italy, nil. Poland, nil. All right, game one. You picked it, Mick. You said, look, you know what? I'll take a hit here. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch this one. I'll lead on it because I know what's coming next. And your first words were, this is this is actually not that bad for a nil-nil draw. Yeah. This is not bad. No, it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. No, it does it does trail off a little bit as the second half goes along. It gets a bit flat and and sort of uh, you know, just meanders a wee bit. But like as Kieran said, like I mean you have you have an Italian team that is not like old Italian teams, you know, they're not they're not wedded and, and locked down by by uh, a defensive mindset, by the Catanacho mindset. These guys don't this know the different. meaning of Catanacho. They don't. They don't, don't they not? Like, this is the team, um, this is the Enzo Birzak project, isn't it? Yeah, this, like, this, is, is, this is, we've lost to the Dutch, or the Dutch are doing better than us. So mm. let's copy them. Let's play total football. Yeah, and they do. I mean, like, you start to look at the names. So some of the names weren't familiar to me. Um, but some of them were. I mean, Bruno Conte is familiar, obviously. Paolo Rossi, of course. Uh, Antonioni is another guy in the middle of the field. Claudio Gentile, my favourite, my favourite all-time Italian defender of all time. Purely only because, only because Charlie Nicholas one time in a shoot annual d- decided he 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 was the toughest defender I ever marked. I was just I was just thinking the poor old champagne Charlie going around the place getting his mullet tweaked and getting just raked down the back of those those, those immaculate calves by uh by by gentile but um across the field like if you i mean graziani graziani sort of plays behind um paulo rossi uh, in, in attack in, in this game but it's their their style like he adapts to the opponent yeah so yeah. in this game he's kind of mm. gone four three three in subsequent games like we'll see when we get to mm. the Brazil game, he remodels the team, but but the philosophy is still the same. It's like let's go for it. Yeah, it was through Graziani. I I I kind of found this change in Italy, and or not not a change in Italy, but just this sort of oh yeah, this is different because he is such a creative player, and he, he's oh, Christ, he was good. Um, and the Poles, and as you say, I mean Poland are just coming towards the end of their golden era, which probably starts at the seventy two Olympics. And goes on to somewhere around the time Gary Lineker scores a hat-trick against him uh, at the Mexico World Cup. So 72 to 86, you could say. So this team is has evolved from, from the, the previous great team of 74. Um, but it's it's formidable. It's formidable. And it's formidable mainly because you have one man in, in the middle of the park, Zibiboniak, who is just, I mean, again... 
no more than the Brazilians in the next game. I mean, Boniek, from the minute he touches the ball, you're looking at this guy going, this guy is extraordinary. I mean, I have vague memories of Boniek playing for Juventus. Certainly, I be I was old enough and I remember very vividly watching the 85 European Cup final at Heysel and all that went with it. And I remember Boniek, you know, I, I, you know playing playing that night. But um, this, like, I was just watching him against high-quality opposition, high-quality defence, high-quality midfield. He is sensationally good. Like, he is so, so good. So, like... Even when the game lags, you're still looking at these individuals and and just watching how they operate, and it is always lovely. It was really lovely. It's the only word. Lovely is the word. And and the bizarre thing, and we were chatting about this, Mick, during the week. Mm. The you've got the most expressive Italian team of all time, and the country's in a bit of turmoil. Poland is definitely in a bit of turmoil. Like this is oh, yeah. a year before solidarity movement has started and has 10 million members and it's it's liberalizing yeah brazil is under a military dictatorship and look we know about the soviet union but like all of these teams are are so expressive and that's not what you expect under the regimes they operate in yeah well i mean just from the polish perspective right to put some context on that when they're coming in so as i mentioned at the top i mean 1972 was their year so uh Munich Olympics uh was was their first moment if you like they won the gold medal uh the coach's name was Kazimierz Gorski and he was the father figure he developed this very fast moving fast paced counter attacking team um got plenty of support from the regime because they obviously you know they wanted a team kicking ass in the west you know so and and he and he provided that but how he provided one of the key things he did was by creating this kind of democratic system within the team itself. So it's something that we're familiar with now, like as in you're trying to give ownership of the team to the players. So instead of being an authoritarian coach, he was asking the players, well, what do you think? What should we be doing? How are you comfortable playing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and from that evolved this team. So by the time they get to the 1974 World Cup and Gorski is in charge again, they've built this fantastic team. Um, Paul Breitner, the West German, uh, reckoned that they were the best team at the 74 World Cup, which of course, which of course is a very nice and very easy thing for the guy who was on the winning team to say, and probably more to dig at the Dutch than anything. But um, still in all, you know, the Poles, he, he, they, they certainly they, they caught the eye. 78 World Cup didn't quite work out for them. Again, like this World Cup, there was a second phase, there was a second group phase after the first group phase, and they got stuck in the Argentinian group. And there was a feeling that they might have kind of got screwed over a little bit <laughs> generally in that in that arrangement. Um, by the time you get to 82, Gorski is not the manager. Uh, Antoni Piknicek is. But as Kieran has mentioned, Poland itself is in turmoil. Martial law has been in existence since the previous December 1981. It's a complete blackout. Like telecommunications are down. There's, there's no access in or out. Um, even players, like, I mean, players up to that point, they had to reach the age of 30 before they could even be sold out of Poland. So you'll find a lot of the great Polish players didn't actually get to play outside of Poland until in their later years. Uh, Lato, obviously, being 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 the key one. He's a, a flying right winger. If anybody wants to see him in his heyday, go to YouTube and find a goal he scores against Brazil in the 74 World Cup. By this stage, he's a right back. But anyway, back to the kind of the, the, the scene at home. Martial law... Um, they go to the world. They can't even get teams to play them in friendlies because of the political situation. So they're really, they're, they really, really are caught up. Um, 
Solidarity is strong already at this point. Lech Valenza, the leader of Solidarity, who to any kids of the 80s is a name that just pops for you, he's in prison. Uh, General Wojciech Jaruzelski, another poppy name for, for, for 80s kids, was the leader of, of the regime at the time. Uh, and he's, his explanation for martial law at the time wasn't that they were just trying to shut down Solidarity, but he felt that the Soviets would invade if Poland didn't... Um, didn't uh, didn't go under martial law at that time and get and get a grip. Now, subsequent sort of historical investigations and looking at Politburo minutes from Moscow and stuff says the Soviets had no interest whatsoever in what Poland were doing. They weren't going to invade. So it was just it was one of these kind of um, classic regime vain vain glorious moves um, from Jaruzelski. Yeah, does Kieran uh, on this exact point? It said anecdotally in the stories I've read that during this very game, some banners were unveiled and Soviet television station weren't happy with this. And actually the police moved in during the stadium. I didn't catch it in, in during the live footage, actually, but there was booze and they weren't happy that these banners were being pulled away. Yeah, and I, I mean, the thing is, martial law hasn't blacked out interest in this overseas. I mean, Mick said it. We all knew these names because it was making news in the UK and Ireland. So we were aware of what was happening in Poland. And one of the reasons we were was the Pope at the time was Polish. And he had kind of instigated the start of this. And Vatican money was flowing in to assist solidarity and US money was flowing in to assist solidarity. So the fact that money was going in meant the stories were coming out. So yeah, I'd imagine the Spanish were a little embarrassed to see political protests at the ground, but that doesn't mean they weren't going to happen. I mean, the interesting thing about uh, Pieknicek, he had taken over, I think, in 79, if I'm right. And he's, yeah, kind, of, he's, things, he's yeah. kind of a disciple of Gorski's. Like, I read an interview yeah. today with Marek Zuba, who going into the tournament was the captain. And he said, it's vital to have a manager who knows what he's talking about. But in many cases, players can impose their views on him. Tactics should be chosen to suit the player's ability and not vice versa. I don't think players should be asked to do things which aren't natural to their play. Our manager doesn't ask us to play out of position. That sort of thing can lead to disaster. Like, you don't get authority figures behind the Iron Curtain <laughs> who have a back and forth with their, their troops, effectively, which is what Zub is describing there. He also said in the same interview, they did a 10-week training camp in Italy earlier in the year. So... They have got momentum coming into this. So they're kind of, they're inoculated from what's happening at home by taking them out of the country and, and pushing them towards what they hope will be a World Cup win because they've actually beaten Argentina between the two World Cups. So at this stage, you know, they've, they've beaten the world champions. It's one of the things that's kind of blown my mind when I'm reading about this World Cup, Billy Joe, bring you in on this. Uh, like Ozzy Ardiles went to Argentina as part of his contract to get out of Spurs before they even got to an FA Cup final because he was going to be in the training camp with Argentina. I just wonder, did teams have more time to prepare? I mean, we can't really say for sure, but it's not the same nowadays anyways. A, a 10-week training camp? No, oh definitely different priorities. Uh, in, some way, in some ways, I think it's probably because we look back at these World Cups so fondly because it was the pinnacle of, of football in terms of the quality, whereas now I, I think you can make a strong case that Champions League, that the the level that's reached there is more coordinated, more sophisticated than Anthony. You'll see it in international football, but I think it's even it to 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 add maybe to to Kieran's and makes points is that you know, some of the the Soviet bloc or the 
you know, the Eastern European countries where they have so much control over their players, so much control over what happens even in their own club football, that the opportunity to go on a 10 week training camp in Italy is there for them. They, they, ha- they you know, they're living in that sort of controlled environment. So I think that the levels of preparation that, that go, go into that is, 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 is more possible. But the one thing I would say about this, I remember watching this again, my KTEL VHS of all the goals of 1982 Billy to 86. Is officially sponsored by KTEL. KTEL. I, they're probably, <laughs> well, actually, my uncle Tony used to work for KTEL. Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> he was an accountant for KTEL, so he, he gave us all these videos. There was some really, some really dodgy reggae CDs as well. But <sighs> I can imagine all the country music you have in your the, collection. The, the, yeah, yeah, I didn't listen to any of that. That's the but that's uh, but but in all seriousness all these goals are like a a nostalgia hit every time i see them because i'm kind of thinking watching the games what was the goal like of this game and then you instantly see it and it's like it's that 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 replay where i've watched it a hundred times in in my childhood and and remembering it it all comes flooding back but the one thing i say is i i like mick had heard of boniek not really seen much of them, but Lato just blew my oh, mind. And then you're yeah, yeah. you're just mm. looking up stuff. Of course, there was no internet back there, but you're reading that and you can, and you read about his exploits in the 74 World Cup. And I, I see some great stuff even in, for the remainder of this tournament from him also. The, the one thing uh, in terms of their qualification for this, and one of our bonus episodes on uh, Buy Me A Coffee is to do with the greatest Irish team never to qualify for a World Cup. But... Uh, any idea how Poland qualified for this World Cup? Not off the top of my head, anyway. No, I presume they won a bunch of matches in the European qualifying group and got through as early as the first or second I mean, team. Yeah, a European qualifying group that was them, East Germany and Malta. <sighs> oh, Jesus. Oh, you know, when, you see, when you see the teams like the Netherlands missed out, Ireland missed out from one group, Wales missed out from another group, and then you're kind of going... How did you Poland swing being in a group of three with East Germany and Malta? Well, can you can you can you answer that for us? I actually can't. I couldn't find the reason. I presume Not it's yeah. just there wasn't enough former Soviet republics that were now <laughs> independent to pad the group out of five. Oh my god. Well, like, but you know what, though, in fairness, right? It's not like they kind of didn't deserve to be there like when you actually saw mm-hmm. them playing like Lato as Billy Joe mentioned Lato is just I mean at this stage in his career as I mentioned there like he's now playing kind of as a right back so it's pure like you can see at times he's playing on a kind of muscle memory almost it's just stuff he know he just knows you know but uh like he was um he played in four world cups that lad well, for a start which is fair not, going. not a bad old record and, and his pal uh, Jmuda was in his third I think at this stage yeah am I correct was there only one substitution at the time or no there was two the Soviets used two so I just don't think they're in yeah. because so. the, uh, what I was what I found strange was both uh, Marek Zuba the, who had been the captain coming into the tournament was on the bench but uh, Sarmak was on the bench, who at that time was playing with Auxerre, and you would have expected him to be playing with Smolarek up front. And yeah. when they introduced the substitute, it's it's not one of those. It's it was actually Marek Custo they brought on. Mm. Yeah, 
yeah who knows who knows but like Lato, he, he, just um, on the point Mick like yeah like does the, the one of the highlights of the game is Lato's interception in the second half like Italy are about to score I mean he's playing right back he's listed on Wikipedia as a forward I, I think you're explaining to our listeners earlier that he did play in such attacking oh, yeah. roles in previous but there he is like as in the middle of the box and I'm like where has he come from and how has he saved that and it's just so well read and he definitely saved to go Oh, he has that. He just has that burst of pace. Like, I mean, you got to remember, like, this guy was, he was a, like, there was two flyers on the Polish team in the 70s, Lato and a guy called Gadoka, right? Mm -hmm. Robert, I think it was Robert Gadoka. He was an absolute flyer. So, I mean, he probably still had that little burst of speed, you know? But, I mean, just mentioning about about the Poles, the Polish players not being able to go abroad. Like, Lato, when he finally was allowed to go abroad, ended up in Belgium. Like, he went to Lockerin in Belgium. And the next, do you know who his next stop was? His next stop was Mexico. Mexico after this World Cup. He I mean, like up after the '74 World Cup, where is where is his cachet going to be greatest? But in Mexico, you know. So <laughs> that is him yeah. cashing in. I mean, Zuba in the interview says is asked about Lato directly. Yeah. What about Gregor Lato? He plays slightly deeper these days, but still scores a lot of goals. Experience has taught him to smell chances, and he plays as a false right winger. Breaking from midfield, he's won almost 100 caps now. Well, well, he was top scorer in the 74 World Cup. Seven goals in seven games as well. So, like, yeah. but you, you can just, my recollection of the goals he, he scores is just getting right place, right time, getting on the end of something. You know, and you can yeah. see him coming in. You know, he'll find that bit of space. Uh, watch the Brazil goal, Billy. Watch the Brazil goal from 74. He just, I mean, you talk about taking a team apart on your own. It's unbelievable. And the speed of the lad, you know. Actually, Rob, going back to your point there about the TV uh, blackout and stuff like that, it was, you're right, you're right, you're saying is right, but Polish TV actually delayed the transmission by three minutes oh. of all the live games. Interesting. So that they could uh, intercept anything, any solidarity with the banners. That might be something they, they will play the Soviet Union. How, how did Paul Newman and Robert Redford not get on I that? Know, I know, I know. Obviously, nobody cared. Um, so we'll, I think they will play the USSR later on in time. And that is an enormous game for Poland for obvious reasons. An enormous game for the USSR as well, actually, for, for different reasons. But uh, uh, we can get into yeah. the... We'll get back the to Polish the, TV policies back then. Exactly, because as always with this show, uh, there's more chances to talk about teams. And yeah, I read an interesting article around the Poland's World Cup and how it kind of captivated the nation. Uh, Kieran, what were the signs here of what was to come from Italy, if from, any? From Italy, I mean, it's funny because uh, anything I read prior to watching the game said that they had a patchy start. Uh, I don't think that they had a patchy start. I just think that they were... Like, uh, Rossi was only recently after finishing his ban for the Tottenham scandal. So he, he's not match fit. You know, he just, he's kind of warming up. I think what they lacked here was just a little bit of uh, incision. And probably, and I know that, you know, they, they kind of stumbled through the group and are lucky to get through it. But I think that time that they're spending together is, these are almost practice matches for them. And they build as the tournament goes on. Like, in ter- just in terms of that, right, I'm slow starters, right? Just from my notes on the game, right? Ten minutes in, Graziani has a good chance, forces a good save. Um, Graziani, again, actually, um, forces another very good save from the Polish keeper. Nice bit of work with Rossi. 22 minutes, good shot from Conti. His boot flies off. 
but it's still, a, it's, you know, it's still a decent shot. Uh, Gentile, 10 minutes later, Gentile, of all people, dribbles past three lads um, and uh, has a chance. Um, it's a great cross by uh, Conte just before halftime. Colavati, the centre half, has a header that just flashes wide. So it's not like, you know what I mean? It's not like they're kind of sleepwalking their way along and passing the ball horizontally back and forth across, trying to bore the poles to death. Like, they really are having to go. The poles have chances as well, but Italy Italy are trying to hit the ground running. And right to the very end, this is a scoreless draw, like, but right to the very end, it's the Italians are making the running. But it's probably, you know, spoiler alert and all that, like, but Poland's standing in the world game at that t- stage was was high. You know, there's, there was no shame in 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 in, in a, a scoreless draw with them. Probably the media and all independent observers probably is probably the two other group games that people that that we will watch that people will reference Italy's slow start more so than this one. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, like in fairness to the polls, again, like third in the 74 World Cup, as I, as I mentioned before, 78 World Cup didn't quite work out. They didn't make the European Championships in 1980. So they really are coming on a mission. And you're right. Like, I mean, the Italians would have well known what, what, what they were coming up against. And But like even at that, though, I mean, the Italian mentality there also would have been. And as it is in opening games anyway, let's not lose. Let's not lose. Th- mm-hmm. This is let's go win. Let's go win. And they very nearly you know. did. Tardelli came so close. What a shot. Ooh. Off the crossbar. Yeah. Crossbar. Off the crossbar with 10 minutes to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he... Uh, and then Graziani. Graziani came in. So, so Tardelli has the shot off the crossbar. Graziani follows it up and it's a header off the line. Like, I mean, they yeah. they pushed it to the limit. That's, 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 that's what I'm saying. And this is, as Kieran alluded earlier on, like, this is this is a different Italy for a different era now. Right. And and a fun fact about your old pal Gentile. Oh, always down for fun facts about Gentile. Straight straight out of the pages of uh, an April edition of Shoot, he was born in Libya. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you know his nickname? Uh, I'll see you his birthplace and raise you his nickname. Go on. I want to hear this. His nickname was, of course, you know, with, 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 a, with a kind of a doff of the cap to the time, Gaddafi. <laughs> You know, they like really, it. they really stretched themselves on that one. <laughs> um, they, like for an era where we're going to talk about mad tackles, there's two yellow cards for Italy in this game, and they're both for lads not like going back enough for a free kick. Korea, yeah. <laughs> it's like wow. <laughs> I mean, there's probably about six absolute red card tackles in in the game, and they're. Going I'll be. I thought it was going to be more. I thought it was going to be more vicious. I mean, Gentile yeah, disappointed vicious, yeah. me. I'll be honest with you. Like as I mentioned there a second ago, Gentile's the highlight of Gentile's day was dribbling past three lads. That's not the highlight I was hoping for. Like he had <laughs> one bit of a kick at a lad, all right. But like, I want to see a bit more brutality now in my, in my kind of you know in my favorite Italian defenders. I'm not seeing it yet. Referee for this game was uh, Michel Votro, who we came across yeah. in 1990, and. Um, in that, in that, he is the referee who played 23 minutes in the first period of extra time between Argentina and Italy in, in the Italian in the Italian United World Cup. So he possibly is well disposed towards his uh, his name. <laughs> Actually, there was a funny thing at the start. Did you notice it? There was a funny thing at the start of the game. By the way, the the the, the, the ground is a tip. Like the there's it, it really is, and it had just been redone for for this that World Cup, redone. which is hard to that believe. That was redone. Well, I can tell you what I know what they did with some of the rubble. 
I know what they did with some of the rubble. They pushed it down to the edge of the pitch and flattened it down into some class of a four-lane running track. It's the four-lane running track for the very, very few people who haven't watched this game. Um, it's like a kind of a black cinder track, like something from fucking <laughs> pre-war fire. times. Yeah, chariots of fire. The lads are nearly coming out with little trolls and digging out their uh, their starting blocks kind of stuff, you know? Um with kind of the chalk the lines ch- are like zigzagging the chalk in lines, I mean, <laughs> yeah exactly and it's just and then the next thing at the start of the game a lad I, I don't know whether this was a pre-arranged thing or what but some guy emerges from the crowd with a couple of red and white carnations and hands the carnations to uh the italian and the polish uh the polish captains i'm assuming that's a solidarity thing that's that was the only conclusion i could come to because like he wasn't kind of muscled off by police around. He kind of gave him the carnations and he headed it back to the stand again. So I, I don't know. It was, it was an odd, it was kind of an odd looking thing. And then we have this, did you notice as well? We have these really odd incursions of the Spanish anthem in these games. They just kind of sort of, <laughs> ah, we'll play it now just to liven things up a bit. As if to remind the Galicians, you know, not to, not to get <laughs> too much into the Before and after in yeah, the first weird. game. Yeah. So that was, that was funny. All right. That was, that's the end of the event. Let's all stand. Go on. One final thing on that ground, Rob, and you may remember in the early 2000s, I don't know exactly when, Celta Vigo qualified for the Champions League and they almost lost home advantage because of the quality of the stadium, which is 20 years later. Really? They were going to be uh, forced to play, I think, in Porto, Uh, but uh, they managed to get some upgrades done. I'd imagine they got rid of the cinder track or something. This this place, in in terms of 80s references now, this place made Plough Lane look like Wembley. I couldn't believe there was a World Cup match. Ah, There's more to come. I went down a rabbit hole of researching this venue. None of it is interesting. It's not even going to make buy me a coffee. So (laughs) let's move. Let's move (laughs) swiftly along. Uh, Game two. Brazil two. Soviet Union one. Brazil versus USSR in a absolute jam-packed Seville. The atmosphere. Oh, Lord. I, I can't wait to get started. Uh, let's bring Billy Joe in, first of all, our uh, main watcher of this game. My God. Colin Sheridan sitting at home going, what did I do wrong? Why does he get these games? What a game. I know. <laughs> I get all the plum jobs. Um, yeah, look... I was looking forward to it again, knowing that Brazil had won, but had no recollection of the scores and no and the pattern of the game. So for for it to wait pan out the way it did, Brazil, you know, being pr- good, being pretty good, um, open football, moving the ball, exuberant, trying to make things happen, happy happen. Zico dropping into midfield, taking the ball on the turn. Uh, players driving forward and you know the classic case looking dodgy at the back and, and then I was pleasantly surprised by the quality of, of the Soviets as well um, you see very athletic had a clear idea about how they wanted to play uh, on, on the counter-attack blocking and why and hide and very very fast um, and it was really really enjoyable and I think the game was enhanced by the way it just panned out I think the fact that the Soviet score first really just mm. even adds to to the quality of the game but I think it's it's like I I, always, I think of this Brazil team and I always go back to the old Alex Ferguson uh, thing about you know to be really successful you have to be the best team in both boxes and I think in many cases 
this, this, this Brazil 82 team was not the best team in both boxes. But your enjoyment of the game was so much more enhanced because everything that happened in between the boxes, they totally dominated and were it was beautiful and coordinated and off the cuff. Well, it looks off the cuff, mm. but just the interplay and the one-touch flicks. I, I can't remember. I think, was it Falcao or Socrates played around the corner flick off the outside of his right boot you know, in, in this early part of the second half, like two yards outside his own 18-yard box. If it goes wrong, it's it's it's, it's probably 2-0 and game up. But like, it was perfect. And, you know, you never cost him a thought. Um, and, Billy Joe can't remember, can't, Billy Joe can't remember because he fainted at that point. <laughs> just sheer yeah. ecstasy. Yeah. Um, and it was, and in particular, you know, the three, you know, standouts for me are, you know, Falcao, Socrates and Zico and I always go back to this never having seen much of these players apart from these videos and of course me being the Liverpool fanatic that I that I am that anything Graham Sooners says about Sooners says about his career in the 80s is like gospel and and, uh, and I just remember him doing I think he was on the Eamon Dunphy podcast talking about his career and like played against all the best players in England at the time played against Maradona in in Italy obviously and you ask him who's the best player he played against and he said without hesitation Zico and he said played against Zico they hammered Liverpool in a world club final for Flamingo and they played them off the field I think they beat them 3-0 and Zico was untouchable and then he played just a few months before this yeah and he played for Udinese as well like an unfashionable Italian team for a couple of seasons it was out, outstanding and I, I think he was such a unique player at the, you know he was different to a number 10 like Maradona you know he got in the box all the time he was diving in at the back post for you know he nearly you know scored a goal late on where I think it was Serginho knocked it back towards him and he's just and he's so energetic as well yet so technically gifted um, phenomenal player uh, I have to say now, I, I did see the 1986 World Cup, so I've seen some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but but actually the ones, you know, now Falcao's goal is just <laughs> unbelievable. Or sorry, Eder's goal is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it had been coming for ages. Like he, It was like he was getting his range in. He had so many shots beforehand <laughs> with exactly that type of fade on it. You know, you, you were thinking this is... This is like watching a good golfer going round Augusta, and you can see as he goes from hole to hole, he's yeah, he's that drive's coming, that drive's coming. But when he strikes that goal, oh my lord, it's a thing of beauty. And that and that thing as well, like about what you mentioned there about him just kind of getting closer and closer. Then, like, this is the thing that you don't get when you watch little highlight reels of this Brazil team and and this match. Now they win two one. You don't realize how close to the end this is happening. Like. They get the they get the winner with two minutes to go. They never, they're not worried. They just keep playing and playing and playing. Now I have a few things to say. All right, later on maybe of just about, you know, I mean, Brazil and just in terms of their attacking threat. I mean, Eder was the attacking threat for most of the second mm. half. Like, I mean, that was it. And I mean, you know, if you know, if I suppose if modern day analytics were applied to them, you'd be certain to pull pull a few threads at the the end of this game all right but like you know that aside the two goals are so glorious but like it what struck me was just that no panic like they just kept it was like it was almost like i don't know was it either a principled refusal to change or was it just such you know it's that thing you want to see in teams just sticking to whatever 
plan they had and we're just going to keep going keep going we know we're going to get it we know we're going to get it and when it came oh my god like I mean the ball comes across Falcao dummies just lets it roll through his legs and Eder flicks it up and hits it on the volley from about I'm going to say 35 yards I don't care how far out it was it just flies past Desayev probably if not then Go about to become the greatest goalkeeper, certainly in Europe, if not the world. Uh, I think he was based on his performance in this game because, uh, like, he'd made Terrific. super saves. I th- yeah, and I he was very commanding in the box as well, wasn't he? Like, any stuff that came into the box, crosses and stuff, he was out. Like, yeah, and I mean, we kind of associate him with being at his peak, say, around Euro '88. Yeah, but, but I think this was his peak. He was like, he. Fabulous. We watched four goalkeepers over the course of these two games and, and I, I know from what Billy was alluding to earlier on that potentially he's not a huge fan of Walter Perry's <laughs> but, <laughs> oh my God. but but you know and we'll come to it later but when you're picking your team of the day I want that day of his class mm-hmm. um, and I mean he could do nothing about Socrates first goal there wasn't a key you could build a wall of masonry bricks across that and it would have found a way into the net it was and how he hit it i i i came away from like of all the soviets he was the one that really really i just went wow he's world class just on dasev i know mick's about to make a point about the way socrates hit that ball and i really want to hear it um dasev do you know uh, I, like I remember, I remember you know reading, shoot, and all these uh, in in advance of the Euro '88, and of course he goes on to have a spectacular tournament and to get all the, the final there. But his athleticism, and I always think of some of these these Soviet players. They, he must have done gymnastics for about ten years, or, you know, when he was a kid, because he he was he like he was so explosive and yet so long and and lean, and then he looked like a goalkeeper totally taken from about 20 years later and just plonked in 1982 and say this is this is how you've been trained you're so far ahead of your time because he grabbed a ball at one stage and he just sprinted five yards inside his penalty area with the ball and then unleashed this rocket of a kind of a throw slash bowl that went perfectly in stride to somebody that was then at that stage moving into the the attack and half and you just didn't see goalkeepers at the time do it as well as that there was a couple of shots that were hit at him really hard bounced in front of him and he just made it look so easy and then when you compare that to what Perez did down the other end well but I mean he, he he's not from a major city in the Soviet Union like he's from a place called Astrakhan in southern Russia for him to have made it to Spartak Moscow, to make it with the Soviet Union national team, he's got to have had to fight his way to the top. I mean, he's not hes not particularly big. He's six foot two. Mm. But he makes himself look massive. And his long throw, you mentioned it there, Billy. Like, like you know, people of our age would associate the long throw with Peter Schmeichel. Mm-hmm. Ah, he puts Peter Schmeichel in the hip and he plays like it. He's, he's accuracy <laughs> and his ability... To just ping it, like a huge overarm ball, and out it goes. It's amazing. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see more of him. I, I just like I always knew he was. Good. I can remember from the late eighties. I remember how good he was. But like I just just looking forward to seeing him just commanding the box the way he does more and more. You know? I think Billy's point about gymnastics. I think he his multidisciplinary career must have been like shot put, 
gymnastics <laughs> and then ultimately a goalkeeper. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll have to come back to him in, in a little more detail at some point, I think, won't we? Like he's, he's yeah. unreal. Mick, I'm still waiting. You were just going oh, to yeah, go yeah. into like a soliloquy about the beauty <laughs> of the Socrates shot. Well, so it's, off you go. It's one of those goals, right, that just is it has always been in my mind. Like if you are t- thinking about World Cup goals, it's just been imprinted in my mind forever. But to see it in the context of the game, you know, and to have, and again I make this point. The Eder winner comes with two minutes to go. The Socrates goal comes with fifteen minutes to go. So they're one down, like the that the Soviets have scored, I can't, was it midway through the first half, whatever, anyway. Yeah, first 34 minutes, Bal got the yeah. goal. Yeah, 10 minutes for half time. So, so, so like, they've got, they've, they've got, you know, they've had the wobble, like they're rattled, Brazil, not that you'd notice, but presumably they've been rattled at some level and they come out and they just keep playing and playing and playing and Eder is pinging shots and they're trying to make something happen and Zico's throwing himself into everything, but nothing's happening, but they just keep going and going and going. The Soviets make, I would say, two errors. Number one, they take off, Maybe their best player on the day, Gavrilov, who was playing up with Blockin. I just thought he was fabulous, Gavrilov. But they took him off. And they, they took him off. And I think it was at a throw or a, I think it was a corner. And they make three poor enough attempts at a clearance, right? But they get it. They manage to kind of hack it away out of the box. And then Socrates comes along. And he's moving across and he's moving across. And what I love about the shot is not the, the, the power obviously and the the, the trajectory just flies into the net. But what I love the most about it is that he's coming across the box and when he actually makes contact with the ball, he's going backwards. He's hitting it off the back foot. It absolutely flies like a rocket. I mean, to get that power off the back foot um, and it's just one of those gobsmacking, jaw-dropping oh my good God, this is football like I've never seen it played before. It just confirms everything you've seen up to that point that I have never seen a Brazil team like this before, not in the 40 years since. And I, Jesus Christ, you just, you nearly cry for what Brazilian football has looked like since, if that's what they were capable of doing. It just, uh, you know, in terms of the, the goal, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, or if you disagree, it, it, he 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 takes the ball. You know he's thirty five yards out. He goes as if it's 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 in like a, a quarter fake shot, and he mm. pushes outside, pushes to off his right foot. Then he goes and does the exact same thing again to the next defender that approaches yeah. him, not to the same extent. And you're right. Then he's kind of pushed so wide that the goal is nearly over his left shoulder. Yeah, and it's not it's not it's not a, it's not a strike where you just see sometimes like where somebody hits a ball really clean with the laces and it's kind of clean. He's hooking this ball. This thing has got a bit of the laces laces and a bit of the bit of curl as well. And when you see the the angle from behind the goal, it's it's moving at ferocious pace away from Dasayev all the time. So he is he has no hope on that. But the thing that blew my mind about Socrates was that okay. He's right-footed. He has the ability to do that. He plays two fakes off his right boot to go to his right each time. About five minutes later, he doesn't take the shot, but he does the exact same move off his left foot, going the opposite way. And I'm just there thinking, like... (laughs) And it's all those little things, right? But it's, like, I mean, and again, this is very 21st century Sony, but put the result aside and just think of the performance and the process. It's all these little moments that add up to make this team so freaking unbelievable right just these little out as i said at the top these outside of the boot 
passes that just ping to somebody. Zico, you know, just trying whatever he can try. You know, uh, balls are bobbling, but they never seem to be out of control. And everything just seems to be within their control. And it's just these little moments of skill. And to just bring it around slightly, um, like Kieran was talking earlier on about, you know, we have the Soviets, we have the Poles, and we have the Brazilians, right? Three international teams coming out of authoritarian uh, countries, countries that are being ruled by dictators, okay? Um, and this idea that football in these countries, particularly in Poland and Brazil, I'm not so sure what the Soviet Union, but that may, I'm not sure, but particularly in Brazil and Poland, have become a mode of self-expression. And the way that football is formed, within these groups of players and the way they see it and the way they want it to be. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me that, and it's wonderful that, you know, one of the great things about this Brazilian team was that they were living in the under, you know, in the yoke of this, this, this regime who wanted them to, to be great, of course, because it looked good for them, but the Brazilian football, that generation of Brazilian footballers and Socrates in particular, was being motivated by something far higher, like, and something far more was driving them to become this team that they were. And it's just, it, it's the emotion of all that as well, I think, feeds into the team and into the experience of watching them. Mick, you used the word there, formed, okay? And um, when I was watching this game, I, I had actually thought the word formed. This football is formed from a combination of favela street style football and beach soccer like you don't try the things they try unless you've come from one of those cultures and they just they completely mixed it up and went for it i'd say tele santana knew that group so well and just said where are you from oh so you can do this let's do it in a game and and the thing that i i love about socrates He's such a counterculture figure in this authoritarian regime. And I mean, they've been in a military dictatorship since 64. It's the, the longest standing uh, dictatorship of its type in South America, which at the time had plenty of them because the CIA were only too happy to stop <laughs> communism in that manner. Yeah. But I mean, Socrates is, you know, you look at him and you're going, does, does he consciously want to look like Che Guevara? Like, is that part of his thing? Is, or Steve Foster from Brighton, one or the other. Yeah, well, yeah, the headband, maybe, yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, he's... When he goes to Corinthians, and, and the country is under a military dictatorship, he starts this thing, Corinthians Democracy, where everybody at the club gets a voice, whether you're the cleaning lady, the groundsman, a footballer, a fan... He makes the whole thing wholly democratic in an environment where nothing else really is. Um, and later in his career, like one of the things that actually, it's not obviously the, the definitive part of it, but when the, when the military dictatorship eventually fails, he kind of puts it on them. He says, I'll move overseas unless you re-democratize re the country. One thing that's true. And it had... It has an impact. One of the things that strikes me, Billy Joe, about this team is it, the, 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 in terms of the emotions within the team that I was watching on that field, it's, there's a lot less drama. Like you look at the more modern Brazilian teams and, and we'll all think Neymar or whatever, but like 
there's drama, there's emotion, but that goal goes in. So that first goal that Bal gets, it's an absolute howler from Perez. Like it's really, really, really bad. But but there's no kind of like utter despair in him or the players around. They just get back at it. See, I was going to do an impression of Eamon Duffy. There. They're not prima donnas. They're not prima donnas, Rob. That's the difference. Uh, uh, no, and 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 that's that's it. You know, I I think you know you look at the how self-absorbed certain star players are in these situations, and it's when things aren't going your way, going your way, it's everyone else's fault. Whereas in this instance, and it speaks of the political beliefs the that a lot of these players had. As I said earlier on, Zico. They reckon he was the hardest working player in the squad, did more training than anyone. <laughs> Socrates's political beliefs, you know, Falcao's obvious physical courage, he put himself about and work rate. Um, so, you know, even though they were the star players, but they were the players that were willing to put their shoulder to the wheel when, when things were hard and to try and do it in a coordinated way. It wasn't that any one of them, and they could have done it on their own, but like, Falcao's dummy for Adair's goal is a, is there's a humility to that in some ways and that you know what follows it is absolutely unbelievable but the thing I can't get out of my head is the nonchalant way he just dummies you knew you know that he's his his intention always was to dummy the ball it wasn't the case that he got a late call to leave it but he just disguised it so well it was like a really good, you know, fake handoff in, in American football with, with much more grace and subtlety. Absolutely um, outstanding and uh, as crazy and all as uh, how good Adair is. You know, to flick a ball up for yourself and volley it in then from 25 yards, he does that. And I'm talking about the, the piece of magic by the player before it who doesn't even touch the ball. <laughs> but that's it like I mean it was just and that's what I mean about the little things that knit this team together or make them special it's the moments like that it's the humility it's the it's not it's it's you know it's the skill but it's also the humility to to execute that piece of skill to create an even greater piece of skill that's going to happen behind them like but just to your point Rob just about the prima donnas and stuff like that like I mean this was I mean this Brazilian team is coming from a different era as well like I mean 19 of the 22 man squad are all based in Brazil Falcao is at Roma. Uh, one of the lads is at New York Cosmos. There's a guy at Atletico Madrid, and that's it. You know, everybody else is at home. There aren't any boot deals going. There's nobody needing to get a, you know, to get a goal or to do something for their Instagram account or whatever. You know, they're li- like it's just a different, it's just a different environment, and I think it it, it all feeds into it. Even Eder, like I was getting a little bit tired of Eder shooting i'll be honest for 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 a small period because he was essentially the only attacking threat they had or, or, or not the only attacking threat sorry that's completely wrong but the 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 only weapon they seem to be uh exercising let's put it that way i mean you didn't have didn't have much going on within within the six yard box you know inside inside the soviet defense you know and it was all it was all there um and Actually, just on that point of them being based at home, I mean, at that time, Flamengo are an incredible team. You know, Billy's referenced that they've beaten they've beaten Liverpool in a World Club final. They've won the what's the Copa Libertadores? Is it? That's the one. Won that back to back. You know what I mean? They're they're a terrific side, but I mean, for them to retain the team at home. They don't have the kind of riches that you would see in Italy at the time or even Spain. And one of the articles I found was on Junior, the left back, who had, he had just become the second highest paid player in the squad. 
prior to the World Cup. And he was getting £10,000 a month for a year. But part of his contract was that he had to model trousers. <laughs> so we can assume that perhaps there was a, a, a trouser sponsor in there somewhere. But I mean, beyond that, he also, as this World Cup progresses, he had released a single just before the World Cup. Quality. And, and with every Brazilian win, it, it sold another 115,000 copies. So would, would you like to get a taste of... Oh, please. Boa oh, Canarinha. Please. No, I can't I see can. any reason why any listener would like to hear. Oh, yes. This is all they want to hear. Boa Canarinho, voa. Mostra pra esse povo que és um rei. Voa, canarinho, voa. Mostra na Espanha o que eu já sei. Mas voa, voa, canarinho, voa. Mostra pra esse povo que és um rei. Might just save that as our closing music for today. Uh, but like, this is a man. Look, just think honest. about this for a minute. Just think about this for a minute. This is a man who plays left back for Brazil. Who does? He's not really a left back. He's like the most, you know, he's a creative midfielder, really. That models mm. Farah slacks. He sings and he's on ten grand a week, and he can do no wrong. And he's got an afro that results in him. I think he's his nickname Brazil is like Portuguese for helmet or something like that. And he's still, I mean. The epitome of cool. The epitome of and, cool. And was discovered playing beach soccer in Rio. You know, that's... Oh. So so that's definitely the soundtrack he should have for his uh, his his documentary tribute whenever it comes. And come here, what was his... Come here, what was his... Um, what was his profession again at that time? Because he didn't get into football. Wasn't, oh, yeah, he didn't, well, he, he didn't he, go he, mad he, into football he, straight away. Like, like. Talk about a well-educated team. I mean, we've got Dr. Soccer himself and... Junior was was uh, studying to be a vet. There you go, there you go. I mean that stuff counts, you know. I mean you've got Socrates coming from a family of of uh, of, of left wing idealists, right? Um, bringing something like that, and then you have someone like Junior studying veterinary. I mean, and I'm sure. I mean, again, this is one definitely we, we may dive into and see what the rest of them. Are. I'm. I bet you there was more. I bet you there was more guys. Uh, kind of bringing, bringing more than the football ability to the thing. That's going to be the fascinating thing about this team. I think, like, we've discussed Junior today, we've discussed Socrates. We're probably going to be discussing Falcao another day or Zico another day. Like, the, the characters that this tournament's going to reveal in that Brazilian team. I mean, Dr. Soccer didn't really follow <laughs> medical advice too often. I mean, his regimen, apparently, was he was a heavy smoker and he loved to drink. And I found an interview with, with like their, their physical conditioning coach in the lead up to the World Cup who said he was in the best condition of his life because he'd, he'd reduced his beer consumption. Can you imagine trying to put a hand? Can you imagine trying to get the lads like to, you know, ease back on the sauces at the dinner and, and you know, just maybe, maybe not the red wine tonight, boys, you know? Yeah. But so much more. Like they're, they're supposed to have been. They were using sports psychologists before anyone was using sports psychologists. The stories to that, which we'll get to. Serginho is a whole story in in itself, mm-hmm. uh, in himself, and and there's lots to talk about there. I, I don't know where you want to take this, Billy Joe. I'm going to possibly be the absolute mood killer and say they should have conceded a penalty in the first half. They conceded a stupid goal. There was another absolute great chance. It was a goal disallowed. 
And even in the closing stages, when they're 2 1 up with like a minute, 30 seconds to go, Junior goes on an expedition to the corner flag, heads the ball over one guy, loses it, and they end up giving a 2 1 1 up at the other end. And what were they doing? What are they thinking? God, where did we get that skills, Roy? Yeah, sorry. You're no fault. I said it. It's all there. That's it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start pointing fingers and uh, um, assigning criticism to the way Brazil played football in this because because you know we learn uh, uh, throughout this whole process of this tournament that you know you, you can take your ninety win and in ninety four on penalties to Italy you can take any of the other stuff this this is the way football is meant to be played this is the this is the Brazil team that anyone should think back and and reference in terms of the way they played the game so in response <laughs> to your blasphemous question I am going to actually start start exactly divvying out absolutely compliments to the, the soviets and i don't think we've been fair enough to be fair because like i i actually loved the way your man shingelia played the game like and, and i think it's worth noting as well considering the political situation we're currently in is that you know the the soviet team apart from your man who was so gary illov gary yeah he he was playing for Sparta and, and Dasayev, as, as Kieran points out, was playing for Sparta. But the rest of the team was basically made up of Dynamo Tbilisi and Dynamo Kiev players. Like Shingelia is a Georgian. And I just thought it was so clever the way he chested that ball inside for the penalty incident early on. You know, it was a beautiful bit of football. Oh, chested it past the defender, went in. And he probably was pulled back a bit. He He... He he similarly had the disallowed goal, which, you know, when you take in the rules at the time, if you were level, you were off. He probably was off, but it was a great finish. And and then I I, I love <laughs> World Cup long range headers. You know, Jared Borghetti, Mexico against Italy, when that is like one of my I think it's it's in the top, it's in my top five uh, headed goals of all time. And I love a headed goal Oof. from long range. And long range, I mean it has to be beyond the penalty spot. So Bal's effort in the first half was really good where the ball's coming across and he's running full pace at it, throws his forehead at it and glances, you know, puts power into it, hits the ground, skids off the ground. I, and I just love goes the wide. fact that, you know, yeah. we get to see Great Billy effort. Joel acting out. The- <laughs> 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 there, there's no sound design required for our listeners because they can judge his excitement by the distance he is either away from the microphone or near the microphone. <laughs> if, he's, if, if, he's, if he fades away, he's driving into a header. If he's right up close... <laughs> There's something, there's something at close quarters happening. It's, it's all, it's a soundscape all of its own. But the Soviets were fantastic. There was probably, I would say, like, I, I, you know, and we've waxed lyrical about the Brazilians. I would say, wax lyrical about the Brazilians. I like that. Um, there was probably, <laughs> there was probably four, stop now. There's probably four <laughs> or five difficult. Russians. That are Soviets, I should say, not Russian, Soviets that were absolutely tremendous. So Desayev, we've mentioned already. Shengelia, Billy has mentioned there. Oleg Blokin, superb, superb. Demyanenko on the left-hand side, the left-back, excellent. Um, uh, Gavrilov, I've mentioned already, really, really good. I thought Sergei Baltica had a very good game. Um, they really, and again, it wasn't a case that they went into this going, Jesus Christ, it's Brazil. You know, let's be all Soviet about it and just, you know, build a big wall and hide behind it and uh, 
just hope for the best. They they were like, they went for it. They went, we're going to fight fire with fire here. And it, it, they they contributed just as much to a, a great, great contest. Like, And as Rob mentioned there, I mean, they could have been two up and God knows what the scenario would have been if they had gotten two up. I think... I think they might have gone on and won it from two up, unless or else the Brazilians would have just gone Brazil into full on circus mode. Like. But <laughs> like, I don't know. But like, maybe it's another day to get into the Soviet kind of background. But the one thing I'd like to mention just about the manager. Um, Konstantin Beskov. Konstantin Beskov, yeah. Just his history. Okay, so Konstantin Beskov is a long, by, even by 1982, he's a long standing figure in Soviet football. Um, he was managed. This is his third stint as, as Soviet manager. He was he was manager to 1964 European Championships, where Soviets played Spain. Now, again, with the march of history, things get forgotten. But Spain versus the USSR at the 1964 European Championships was was an enormous match at the time because of the, of the Cold War, and you had Franco still in in power in Spain playing. The Soviet Union. So there was enormous pressure from from Khrushchev, the Soviet Premier at the time, for the Soviets to win. Unfortunately, well, I don't know, doesn't matter. They didn't win anyway. Uh, Spain won two one. There was accusations that the ref was bribed, that the Spanish players were dope, and the, the Soviets did everything they could to muddy the waters. Anyway, Beskov was sacked, gone. He came back. Uh, some say either in the late sixties or the early seventies. But where does his second stint end? His second stint ends at Dalymount Park in a 3-0 defeat to the Republic of Ireland. It's like, it's taken so badly at home. It's celebrated by Irish football as one of the greatest results of all time. In, in back, back home in Moscow, it's like, well, you're gone again. But he's brought back again for Spain in a combo with Valery Labanovsky. So Valery Labanovsky is in charge of Dynamo Kiev. Uh, uh, Beskov is in charge of Spartak Moscow. And they also bring in uh, the coach of um, Tbilisi to try and balance it out. But I'll get back into that another day. But it was just like mm. the pressure that that man was under. Imagine, imagine it like he's coming back to Spain. What are we talking? 18 years after the biggest game of his life and, you know, being sacked, probably not sacked by the Russian, the Soviet Football Federation either, but sacked by Khrushchev. Like, um, you know, this is enormous for this man. Okay, because I think Brezhnev is sleeping on the job for the last few months. There, so. <laughs> they're using, they're actually using a foot pump <laughs> to make it look like. I think it's and drop off at this stage. This is the era when the Soviets go through about three premiers in a year. I think they're using a foot pump to make the latest premier still look like he's alive. It's a weekend at Bernie's type of thing going on in the Politburo <laughs> in Moscow at that stage. But anyway, we may go to the Soviets another day. But they were, they were terrific. They were terrific. You, so you guys at home sometimes, I mean, your your loved ones, people in your family, your friends might be going, are you, are you seriously listening to a podcast where they relive every day of the 1982 World Cup? Take that snippet. That's why I'm listening to this podcast because it could go anywhere. And there's so much more we could have covered. We just have enough time for some highlights from Shoot and to pick our team of the week. I wanted to talk about the atmosphere, which matched the absolute beauty on the pitch. But we'll actually get more chances to talk about the atmosphere in that stadium and with the Brazilian fans in future podcasts. The Scotland-Brazil meeting is going to be a meeting of some of the best supporters at this entire tournament. Enough on that then, but it was quite an incredible atmosphere in Seville. Kieran, you've you've climbed into the attic. You've you've climbed over the 1986 box. You've you've put, brushed aside the 1984 box with all the Denmark stuff, and you found the 1982 box of shoot magazines. Climbed into 
Attics for 82 is beyond me. Uh, I, I have no vivid memories of this World Cup. Uh, thanks to eBay, and I must find out the name of the vendor. I was able to purchase uh, what, what we're referring to as the, the last archive. I have an entire year of shoot magazines. Nailed! <laughs> <laughs> no, like buy me a coffee special so, podcast. I've got a little quiz for everybody because Shoot in advance of the World Cup nice. has picked three stars from each country that they said were going to be huge stars in the World Cup. So I know now that I'm with the cognoscenti here. So cool. I'll, what I'll do is I will throw an easy one. No, actually, do you know what I'm going to do? Billy Joe, pick a country. In the World Cup? Yeah. Um, Scotland. Okay, who are the three players that they've picked from Scotland? Um, Kenny Dalglish. Check. Alan Hansen. Check. Graeme Sunnis. Check. Three oh, points for Billy. Billy Joe. If it's not 80s pop music... It's he's football they're, stars. They're all Liverpool players now. Come on, Michael Foley. Can you notice anyway? All right, country. Um, actually, Brazil. Let's keep. Let's take it easy on me. But did you know what? Actually, this is harder because there's so many to pick from. But I'm going to go Zico. Check. Uh, Socrates. No. What? They know yeah, nothing. At I know. Um, and let me give him one more. Uh, let me see. Falcao. No. What? Who's we, writing we, this I crap? Know, so the, the junior was one. The Flamengo stars generally accepted as the world's top fullback in July. We'll surely have no doubts. Look out for his free kicks. Ah, here. And the third one, this you're going to find bizarre. Perez, the goalie. Paulo Isidoro. Oh, for God's sake. Strangely attack is Brazil's only problem and they may just... They they play may play just two strikers. Paulo Isidoro was outstanding against England at Wembley. Remember this wobbly shot that dipped and swerved as it sped towards Ray Clements. So basically, if you've scored against England, you have a fair chance of being sure, picked as the stars to watch in the World Cup. Rob, pick a country. Well, I did a bit of study on Peru yesterday because I was getting ahead of myself, oh. right? So I'm just I'm going with Peru. I mean, I mean, no, I mean, seriously, no, seriously, no. We've got a lad. It's okay, I got this. We, I got this. I know. We've got a lad who's after buying all the shoot magazines <laughs> from the summer of '82. I know. All right, go on. No, and, 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 and another I lad, no, and another lad asked <laughs> to pick the three stars from. The, would you not pick England or someone that people will know? Here we go, Peru. You could say anybody, you know. You could say anybody. Alberto <laughs> Solano's granduncle. <laughs> anybody. Yes. Is Kubi exactly. yes still playing? Is he? He, he, he was. Actually, I'm, was I'm yeah, looking yeah. forward to seeing him in tomorrow's episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, go, Rob, go. go in England. Peru. No, England. I'm taking the piss. England. Uh, no, 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 no. I can go Peru if you want, but I only have two. No, we'll go England. Go on. Uh, Glenn Hoddle, surely. No. What? Jeez. Uh, Brian Robson? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Coming back. Uh, can you get another point to pass Michael Foley? Oh, he's taking Trevor seven. Francis. No. Oh, Paul Mariner, by he's got to be there. Mick Mills. No. Peter Schilt. Kevin, Peter Schilt. Schilt. Kevin Schilt. Keegan. And here's one that shocked me. Phil Neal. 
Not England's most popular player, but his experience against the French and Czech wingers could be match-deciding factors. Oh, wow. There was now, a, any there, other country you just want to pull out randomly and I'll, I'll chuck a couple of names at you. France. Uh, yeah, France, yeah, good one. France, they've gone for uh, Marius Trezor, Michel Platini and Dominique Rochetot. Actually, I'm interested in oh, yeah, teams who watched it, Poland. Who did he pick out for Poland? For Poland... Uh, Ladislav Zmuda, uh, Ziggy Boniak, and Smolarek. Oh, Smolarek, who was good. I thought he played yeah, well, actually. Yeah, over on the left-hand side. Very, very good. Mm. Very good. They had a lot of good performance, actually, Poland as well in they that did. game. A lot of good performance. Here, for bonus points, um, yeah. who do you think they picked for West Germany? That. Um, uh, Rummenigge. Yes. Um, let me think. Um, Litbarski, no. Oh, uh, Breitner, not hardly. Yes. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Breitner, and okay, I'm gonna. Uh, there was a guy who was at um, what's his name? Hans Peter something or other. Was it? I go. Uh, Bruegel. Bruegel. Hans Peter Bruegel. Yeah. Bruegel. Oh, not Bruegel. Not Bruegel. Bruegel was Bruegel was a Renaissance player. That's, that's pretty uh, impressive because <laughs> we haven't watched him yet. Good knowledge. Uh, um, Yuri Stilica. Yuli Stilica, Real Madrid. Well, we now have Billy Joe on three points, Mick on three points. I got one. Uh, Rob has one. I'm just going to give you a tiebreaker. So if you can tell me who the first player they select from the USSR is. Oh, great one. Blocking. Mm. No, he is picked, but not blocking. The first mm. one. Dasyev. No. Demyenko or Demi? I have to pronounce it right. Demyenko, yeah, go with that. No, they actually went for Alexander Chivadze. Really? Captain, Captain and supreme defender. Yeah, Always he's excellent. Have time to do what he wants to do. Reads the game well, and his distribution is spot on. They obviously saw a career for him in FedEx. <laughs> team, of the, team of the tournament team of the tournament what do we pick what do we pick team of the day team, team of the day right team of the day let's start again team of the day that's what I'm trying to say what did we pick looking at your teams now I'm quickly scrolling back I thought mine I, I, I thought mine was very democratic I like three Brazilians three Italians three Soviets and two Poles I thought it was very good call and, it out and, well, call it out actually I've gone for team. I've gone for a kind of um well, Terry Venomans would have called it a Christmas tree formation, I suppose, wouldn't he? So I'm going to go with Dasse from goal, right? Um, Sharia as a sweeper, because mm-hmm. of the style of the time. I've gone with two centre halves, so Calavati and Jamuda, Italy and, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and Poland. Falcao then. My two, my two wing backs aren't backs at all. Schengelia and Eder. <laughs> Socrates and Boniak driving forward. Gavrilov and Graziani. And Gavrilov and Graziani can basically play wherever the hell they want. Oh, yeah, that is it. I thought you had an 11 there. That's pretty I, good. I, I, I've kind of taken as many liberties as I can. With oh, position. yeah. I, I, I had a sneak peek at this. This is a joke. Go on. Um, so, Dasi Evan Golds. Uh, Yalaka from Poland and as my right back. Uh, Gentile and Zmuda in the middle. <laughs> Gentile, so who know. didn't step in towards centre half I at all in the game. You know, I'm trying to fit in some good players here. Mm. Uh, junior, junior on the left. Purely because of the song. Um, <laughs> in midfield, then I've gone for uh, Zico, Falcao, Socrates, and Antonioni. 
and up front, Adair and Conti. And I, I, I probably could have squeezed in Gavrilov, I'd say, if I had tried, but yeah. Small note too, Kieran's a fan of the Roma jersey and he made his team in a Roma jersey style, which I was impressed with. That would have been a good Roma team in the 80s. I like it. <laughs> Obviously, the captain yeah. was Falcao. Hmm. Highest paid player in the world at the time from Roma. Was he? I believe was he? so. Was he? Wow. I believe so. Interesting. Benito, anyone to add in or take out there? You no, know, I'm going to name my team and it's uh, Wal- it. Walder Perez and Goals, Junior right back, <laughs> Leandro centre back, Eugenio, Oscar, Gersau, Falcao, Socrates captain, middle of midfield, Zico number 10 with Adair out left and Serginho up front. Can I, can I just say? Can I just say? I feel like I might have seen that team play. Yeah. Can I just, very, very brave, Colin. Very brave, Colin Perez. Very brave, Colin Perez. Yeah. But, but you know, you, you just got to fully commit to it. And I have to say, I do love that Brazil goalkeeper kit with just the, I, I, the, the way they have to write Brazil on it. It's like yeah, yeah. He, maybe I often think, like you know, is it because he's such a bad keeper? They're like, how could you even be? Oh, they're, you're the Brazil goalkeeper. <laughs> it's like having your name written on the label at school. <laughs> no, I'm from Brazil. I'm the goalie. All right, best luck, Rob. Rob, I think it's safe to say you're going to have a problem um, trying to distill a team from all of this. What was your team? Ah, uh, there's much the same. I put Demyanenko, but they're all totally different in there. Um, much of the Brazilians. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's not much the same. It's very different. I, I thought Conte was very good. I would I put he him in there excellent. as well. He was, yeah. Yalaka, I, I, I chimed with that. Uh, Lato had to be on my team. Lato has to be on the team of the day. Come on, guys. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Do you know what this is telling me? I'll tell you what it's telling me. We're not, we're not going yeah, to come to our conference because it's just, we've, no, we've named off about 30 players now. Like, what it tells me is this this reflects the quality of the teams that we saw in these two matches, you know? I mean, the Brazilian SSR game was a genuinely brilliant game to watch. The, the Italy Poland game was a, a good game that, as, as you know, it trailed off, but you were still looking at players playing really, really well. A lot of players playing very well. And it's just it was just that kind of day. I mean, you could pick up a squad of twenty-two, from from I, I think across the four teams, and whoever you picked for an eleven out of it, you 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 know you you make a very strong case for four different 11s out of those two games today. Love it, right? That's it from us. What a day! I mean, what a long marathon podcast, but it was worth it because it was that good. Brazil are amazing. Day three, Peru versus Cameroon kicks us off. Okay, yeah, it's not going to be all amazing. That's the way it has to be. Uh, come on, Bye, lads. Like, I, I'm looking forward to that game because, like, I've studied them. This is a chance to see Roger Miller at his peak. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this, Are you sure? Well, I'm basing on on age, to, you know, and yeah. and I I I am looking forward to seeing uh, Tiafilo Cubias. How old is yes. Roger Miller at the World player. Cup? Um, I think he's thirty. 42, 22, <laughs> 19, 64, 32. It's like bingo. Just pick a number and see how you get on. All of those ages. I think Roger Miller isn't isn't as much one man as an idea. Do you know? I think, he, <laughs> uh, speaking <laughs> I think of everyone's which, missing this point. <laughs> speaking speaking of men as ideas, can we just stop talking and listen to Junior now? <laughs> yes. Fade. Talk to you, talk to you out. tomorrow, folks. Adios. Canarinho voa Mostra pra esse povo que és um rei Voa, canarinho voa Mostra
mostra na Espanha o que eu já sei Mas voa Holy moly, it is actually... I think I'm actually going to play this and work tomorrow when hey, putting the Hey, do you think, I mean, you know, as, as World Cup anthems go and World Cup singles go, that's not too bad at all. <laughs> I won't lie. I, I put on the album with the pants mixed there, they're off. <laughs> 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 we'll all be wearing fire slacks next week. <laughs> 